Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. I'm so happy to be joined now by my good friend, D.A. Weibring, five-time winner on the PGA Tour, five-time winner on the Champions Tour, including a major at the Senior Players Championship. D.A., great to be with you. We're down in Dallas, and we're actually coming to you from your home where uh, we just spent an afternoon with your family. Tell me a little bit about uh, the, the three kids that you've had that I grew up with and the kids they now have. Well, Jake, it's it's great being with you and Jan. And, and uh, you know, given our time back when we first got on tour, uh, both of our families have grown up. Uh, we, we do have three. Matt's going to turn 40 th- this year, you know, had his time playing on the PGA Tour and the Nationwide Tour. Uh, he has three kids. Marley is the oldest, 10. Ben was going to be eight. And Charlie is three and a half, almost four. So uh, that that's part of our, our crew, our oldest crew. And then Katie has two uh, riders, three and a half. Uh, and uh, Phoebe is a, is a year and a half. And then our newest member from my daughter, Allie, and her husband, Brett, is Henry Hopkins. <laughs> Henry Alexander Hopkins, who is about uh, five months old. Isn't it shocking to you to think that when you and Christy started the tour, you didn't have any kids, and then you had kids. And you played, and the kids grew up, and now you've got six grandchildren. It, 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 it's amazing how, how time flies. It really does. I mean, given that you know, we've, we've played the tour, both tours, for 40-plus years, and now uh, we have almost have a 40-year-old child who has three kids. But we are, we're very blessed. We've lived in the Dallas area here, we, north in Frisco now, for almost 40 years. And our, our kids are all here. All six grandkids are here. We're very fortunate. I mean, given uh, just like yours are, are kind of spread around the country, we're fortunate to have them here in our backyard. And we've had a busy day with them today. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about the PGA Tour. As you said, we played uh, the tour from 40-plus years. But one thing that's been a consistent topic, I, I don't know if I should say problem, but it is a problem, is slow play. And a lot of the young kids that I see today, I remind them that it was a it was a topic back when we played the tour, and it's still a topic today. What's what's your take on the current situation with slow play on the PGA Tour? Well, I, I reflect back uh, to to pace of play. We've talked about it for years and years, and the one thing that I think is an interesting perspective towards it is that I think a lot of players there's a lot of different types of personality some some people walk fast they walk slow they talk fast they talk slow they play fast they play slow but the one thing that I was taught and I know you were too is every time you go play to do your best some days it may not be a very good score it might be 78 it might be 80 but do your best don't ever give up the only problem that I have with slow play is that sometimes you find the guys who are really grinders who are working hard, they never give up. Sometimes they get in their own way and they get a little slow. They're, they're considered now by TV and whatever, they're bad guys because they're slow. And then there are guys who play real fast and sometimes they have a habit of maybe not always trying to the end. If they have a bad day, heck with it, I'll worry about it next week. They get playing faster, they get annoyed with slow play I don't think that's so good. It's not as clear as fast player, good guy, slow player, bad guy. That, that, that's the way it comes across in the media sometimes. One thing that I find, and again, having played so long and then also have been doing TV now for some 10 years, 
is the most talented players are the ones that play quick. When you're talented like Fowler or Kepka or Lanny Watkins, you can pull a club and make a swing because you're not thinking of anything because you're so good. You don't have any thoughts in your head because it happens naturally and it happens quickly. And then there's other players that have to go through a checklist. And I'm not, I'm not excusing those slow players. I'm not excusing those players. But you make a good point. They're not bad guys. They just maybe take a little bit longer to pull the trigger. I think many times they're trying to do their best. They're trying to be as efficient as they can, and they get in their own way. I, I've been in that spot. I, I found myself being a little slow at times, and I realized that I was trying to think of too many things. Byron Nelson helped me a great deal. He wanted me to get committed. He said what he loved about Tom Watson when he first saw Tom Watson play at Wingfoot and he invited him down here to Dallas to help him a little bit. He said, I was amazed at how committed he was. He said, Tom never, never, never goes at it halfway. When he decides to play a shot, he's committed. And sometimes people who aren't quite sure don't have the confidence, not trusting their talent. They're, they're trying not to hit a bad shot and they get in their way. And so but, but that, that has bothered me, that, that aspect of good guy, bad guy. Uh, I, I really think that we all have to hold ourselves to a standard. And the other thing that happens sometimes is you get off playing and, and maybe, maybe you're, you're playing at a pretty good pace and you're playing pretty well and all of a sudden you get in trouble and you got to take a little longer for a shot. But if somebody else was playing a little slow, now you're behind. Now it doesn't allow that player. Now you're on the clock. And you don't deserve to be on the clock because you're playing at a good pace. But now you need to take, you know, take, take a little more time. So it's really a tough thing to call. I, I don't know how they, I don't think our officials should be out there with radar guns, kind of pointing at them, you know, kind of a speed check. But we need to kind of help each other. What I like is when our officials come along and say, hey, can you help me out? You're a little behind. Let's pick it up rather than just forcing a time frame on you. And if you don't do that with that kind of warning, then maybe you need to be timed. But move but along. J just for a little clarification, what happens is if DA and I are playing in a twosome and we're not playing well, we make some bogeys and double bogeys and we fall behind and we get put on the clock, an official will come out and say, Peter, DA, you guys are on the clock. Well, we know that we're we're three, four over par. We've struggled. We kind of figure we're on the clock because we can't see the group in front of us. Right. Well, once we're on the clock, we know to speed up. The problem that happens is when you're in a threesome, and if it's you and me and Mr. Slow, that Mr. Slow, who's clearly the guy who's holding us up, right. he puts it into high gear, and he ramps up, and all of a sudden he's hitting shots so quickly, and we catch up. But then you feel as though he's been given a warning to speed up, but then when we're back in position, Mr. Slow slows way down he goes again. Right back to his normal pace. And so there, there's no perfect way to do it. I think the players have to communicate, the caddies have to communicate, hey, guys, we're a little behind. we we got, got, got to pick it up. And, and But there are days when guys aren't playing very well, and it takes a long time to get it in the hole. It just, it just happens that way. But. Yeah, I, I, I've always said that if I were in charge, which I'm clearly not in charge, I would just make sure that at the player meetings we have every year or the player meetings during the year, I would just, uh, just, just try to communicate with the players and say, look, we're all in this together. We're in this together. This is our organization, and we need to get in under the TV time because I've been in part of broadcasts where 
you go over or sometimes they cut away if it's a network and NBC or CBS has to cut away because they're going to 60 Minutes or National News, they're not going to stay with the golf. They're leaving. So we need to get this under the the allotted time because we want to get the CEO message. We want to get your face on TV with the trophy, and that's a really important part of the event, the finishing. Put a bow on the end. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up and making sure they show it. People ask me all the time now, when I play in an outing or a tournament or just with friends, why do I play a yellow ball? Well, it's pretty simple, really, because I can see it. I can see the ball in flight all the way from the tee down to the landing spot, whether that's the fairway or, yeah, a fairway bunker. At my age now, I lose the white ball in flight. When Srixon first started making the Z-Star yellow ball, and they put it in my locker, it was to hand out to my amateur partners in the Pro-Am. And I was thinking, I'm not going to play this ball. I'm going to play the white ball. But when they put it in play, I could see their ball. And I immediately thought, what in the heck? I could see that ball. And believe me, when you lose sight of the ball in flight, and you don't know where it lands, it kind of takes a little bit of the fun away. So what I did right then, I switched to the yellow ball. I started playing it in the Pro-Ams, and eventually I started playing it in the tournament. Whenever you switch to a new ball, you're always worried about how that ball is going to fit in with what you do, how it affects your game. And I play it because it does everything I need it to do. I always think about proper spin, the proper trajectory, and the maneuverability of the shot. With the Strixon Z-Star yellow ball, I can curve it left or right, hit it high or low, and it has that perfect amount of spin that I need for my game. It's been about 10 years now since I put that ball in play, and I've never looked back. It's yellow for me for the rest of my career. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was I'm known for doing swing impressions. And that started back when I was in high school. I grew up with my, in, in my house. My father loved golf on TV, and we'd watch the Shell's Wonderful World of Golf, CBS Golf Classic. And he used to say, see Trevino there? You see how he hits that fade? He aims left and plays a big fade. Look at Arnold. He closes his body and hits a big rollover hook. Well, I started impersonating these players, and I want you to tell everyone the story that when we met and we played a lot of practice rounds, and I did these on the range for our buddies, Scott Simpson and Jay Haas and Curtis Strange, and started messing around, but we got to Atlanta one year, and you said, you're going to bring this out. Well, we did. But Peter grew up in Portland. I grew up in, in Quincy, Illinois. We didn't know each other in college. He got on tour six months before I did in 76 and 77. And we just became friends. We hit it off. We started playing practice grounds together. We started traveling. And I remember we were flying from the Kemper at that time. It used to be in Charlotte to Atlanta. And I've been watching Peter do these imitations and voices. And we could be at the Pizza Hut. We could be on the range or whatever. And I said, Jake, this is really good stuff. I said, let me become your agent. And I said, they were having a long drive qualifier 
on the first tee at Atlanta for the tour players. And then they, they would qualify to go to the Nationals. And I said, you're long enough. You might sneak one out there. But they, I understand they give you six balls. So let's do this. I'm going to sign you up right near Jim Dent. Everybody's going to want to see Jim Dent. He was the longest hitter. I said, hit the first three balls and try to get one out there. If you happen to catch one, I'll notice, but you'll, be, you'll know. Kind of give me that look. If that's the case, on the fourth ball, as you tee it up, I'm going to yell a name and then just do it. And if they don't react, never think about doing this again. But I'm telling you, you'll kill them. So on the second ball, you hit it on the nose, turned it over, chased out there in pretty good shape. So you kind of gave me that funny look. And you hit the third ball. And as you teed the fourth ball, I jump up in the crowd, maybe 500 people on the hillside, and said, where's Johnny Miller? Hey, where's Johnny? And you flipped the collar and started walking back and forth. And, and the guy from Buick who was running the event started going, hey, hey, because everybody was laughing. You were just walking. And then you hit the shot and pointed to the right like Johnny would do. And the place was dying. And then I yelled, how about Lanny Watkins? And you start picking your shirt. And, and did Lanny's kind of kind of hid your eyes and, and, and did the swing. And the final one was Arnold. And you did Arnold. You know, you, you, you picked the hair on your neck and... Threw it up, and people were just loving. They they didn't see this coming. You hit the shot and held it, and I yelled reverse, and <laughs> you reversed the swing and backed out. Well, the Buick guy went from "What are you doing?" to "This is fantastic. You got to do a swing for us at the PGA at Oakland Hills." So you did. You did Johnny Miller, I believe. And then you got a phone call. Who was that phone call from? Yeah, it was a pretty interesting phone call. Bob Hope, the late, great entertainer. And for any of our young younger listeners, you might not know or remember Bob Hope, but Bob Hope was the guy. He did more for our troops overseas, and he was a comedian and an actor. He was everything you know today from Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, George Clooney, uh, Robin Williams, all rolled into one. Bob Hope called me. I picked the phone up. And he loved golf. He hosted his own event, the Bob Hope Desert Classic. He called me up and said, Peter, it's Bob Hope. And I'm kind of like, uh, yeah, sure it is. <laughs> Who is this really? He said, uh, I want you and DA to do your impressions at the Bob Hope Classic black tie ball at the tournament in January. And I said, Mr. Hope, we normally do it on a range. He said, you'll figure it out. <laughs> and he said, see you then. And he hung the phone up and I called Deanne. I said, what are we going to do? So we, we eventually put a little show together, and we did it. We, we went back and forth all winter. You said, you got me in this thing. You got to do it with me. And so we, we show up in black tux, and we brought a couple props and hats and whatever, and we, we walked to the front table, front and center. Les Brown and the Band of Renowned was on stage and Bob Hope was going to host this. And then we heard he had to be pulled away because he had to, had to shoot a special or, or kind of, kind of re, rework a special in Hollywood. So President Ford became the MC. So we're sitting at the table with our lovely wives, Christy and Jan, and we're going, what, what are we into? There's a thousand people here. You know, this is, this is Palm Springs, first term of the year. And so uh, Tom Dreesen, a very famous comedian at the time from Chicago, great guy, loved golf. He was opening for Frank Sinatra at the time. And and he's he's looking at us and we kind of meet him and, and we look down at, at the menu and the menu says, tonight's entertainment, Donna Theodore, who we found out was a great singer in you know, kind of Las Vegas, uh, Scatman Crothers, great comedian, Phyllis Diller, D.A. Wybring and Peter Jacobson, you know, and then Tom Dreesen. And we thought, holy cow. 
and and Tom thought it was funny. Oh, this will this will be good. What are you guys gonna do? <laughs> we have no idea. No. And so, so we we go backstage, and President Ford's there. Whatever. Well, well Tom Dreesen later went on Merv Griffin at the time, which was a famous talk show, and Johnny Carson Letterman. and Letterman, all those different shows, and he told this story. Here's these two young golfers, and they're thrown in the mix. And so we tried to beg President Ford to walk out with us. I said, well, come out with us. He said, no, no, no. I'll, I'll introduce you guys, and DA, I'll give you the microphone, and you guys do your deal. This is going to be great. He's more enthusiastic than we were, for sure. So so I walk out. He gives me the microphone, and you're backstage. And, and so the premise was it was the first tournament of the year, the kickoff of the PGA Tour season. So I say, you know, welcome to the PGA Tour season. It's great to be in Palm Springs. Some of the top players in the game have stopped by tonight to wish everybody good luck. You know, that was our lead-in. So I introduce you as Johnny Miller. Now, the people, I'm sure, are going, what is going on? So you walk out as Johnny Miller, and just your, the way you walked out and kind of stood there, they started to get it, and they started to laugh. And we continued to do five or six players, and it was a big hit. You killed it. <laughs> well, the funny part of being backstage was as we came off, and I'd wear crazy hats, and I would try to dress like the player. I would come back, and I'd have to do a quick change while you were out there talking about the next player. And President Ford is standing there, and I'm taking a hat off, and I'm handing it to President Ford. And then I took my vest off and handed it to President Ford. And Tom Dreesen said, Peter, Peter, give me that stuff. President Ford is not your prop man. This is the former president. What are you doing? As as Tom takes the stuff away, President Ford says, no, no, I got this stuff. I'm helping out here. (laughs) And it was so funny. We did five or six. We did Johnny Miller, Trevino, maybe Gary Player. Hubert Green. Hubert Green, Arnold Palmer, Craig Stadler. Doug Sanders. And and I think we were hitting wiffle balls into the crowd or something because... How do you make a golf swing impression work on a stage? Right. As Bob Hope said, you'll figure it you'll out. You'll figure it out. And from there, DA, we must have done, I would say we did probably 100 or more clinics, right. mostly junior clinics. Mostly it fit into our our belief system that we, we need to get kids in the game. We did it for nothing. We did right. it for charity, but... We did it to bring a little levity and a little humor to the tour. Well, it was fun. And, and your talent, I, I was just the setup guy. And, and, but but it, I was never going to be competing with you. It was, I was throwing bounce passes. And you were catching them and laying them in. And, and the follow-up to that was later, either that year or the next year, we were invited to do the New York Golf Writers Dinner. And that was at Westchester, and that was a big deal. And here we are back on a, on a kind of a stage or a dais again. And, and so we said, well, okay. So we go to do it. And Bob Hope was there because he wasn't there the first night. And so, like, he, I think he was feeling proud that he heard it went pretty well. And so I go up in front, in front of this big dais at the Rye Hilton, and we use the same premise that some of the top players in the game have stopped by to wish everybody congratulations on their achievements, you know, in the state of New York. So as I bring you up, I'm turned to the side, kind of interviewing and talking to you, and I'm looking, and I'm looking right at Bob Hope. 
and all some of the other celebrities that were there. And Bob Hope is dying laughing. His head's down. on He's pounding the table laughing at the lines that we, that we came up with. But you always had the ability, when the, when the pressure was on, you even got better. And you milked it, and we had, had just a great time. So, But it was fun. It was something different. It was something that we kind of did together. They could tell that we were having fun, and they had fun too. One of the, just to finish up with you, DA, one of the great moments in my life uh, with Bob Hope was I had a younger brother, Paul, who was gay and he died of AIDS back in 1988. And, uh, but he had cleaned up. He, we had put him through the Betty Ford Clinic and, uh, and Bob and Dolores Hope were the executive directors of, of, the, uh, of the, the Betty Ford Center. And upon Paul's death, we raised money and Paul had said, uh, I'd like to, the money to go to the Betty Ford because they saved my life. So we sent that money to the, the Betty Ford Clinic. We just sent it. I didn't make a big deal out of it. It was just something personal. Well, I had been inviting Bob Hope to come to my tournament in Portland, the old Fred Meyer Challenge. Right. We, had, we had Clint Eastwood. We had Jack Lemmon. We had Michael Jordan, Bobby Knight. But I, I really wanted to get Bob Hope because, as you said, he loved sure. golf and he hosted he his own he tournament. He was great for the PGA Tour. I mean, he set the... He set the so when I sent the money down and they got, I think it was like twenty-five or 30000 it wasn't that much money, but I get a call from Bob Hope and said, uh, he said, Peter, we received your check. And again, I didn't let anybody know this because those things are, are personal, sure. they're private. And he said, I know you've been inviting me to your per- tournament in Portland. I'd like to come next year. And he came and he played in the Pro-Am with me and it was a huge deal. But to me, that just goes to show how uh, golf is the glue to bring people together from all walks of life, all ages, all sexes, all races, all, all, all backgrounds. They bring, they bring so much goodness together around a game of golf. And that's, to me, and you've been a professional golfer now for over 40 years, I'm still proud of what the PGA Tour does and the Corn Ferry Tour and the LPGA Tour. And we all band together to raise money through this great game of golf. And I know that you've been involved in charity your entire career. Well, it really is. You know, we, we both wanted to go give back to our hometown. I was fortunate to go back to Quincy, Illinois. That gave me a great growing up experience. My mom and dad, I was the only child. My dad taught me to play. My mom supported everything I did. And and so we wanted to start an event and, and did one for 25 years. You were there many times. And, you know, that small community, it meant a lot. And, and we were doing it for that area. I did one at Illinois State University for 25 years. Matter of fact, I'm back doing it again. And, but it's something, as now we get older, we can still do. We can still help support that. But golf does bring people in from business, from, from stage, screen, uh, music, everybody, And it's a way to have fun, and it's a way to do good things for communities. And that's really what it's all about. DA, thanks so much for joining us. Great to catch up with you, and uh, thanks for a great career over 40 years. You've been involved in not only playing, winning, uh, but but charity and doing clinics, and you've done you've done golf course design. In fact, I'm going to say I think you designed the greatest golf course in the TPC system, at uh, the TPC Deer Run, where they play the John Deere Classic. And you don't have to comment on that, but <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, I think across the board, people think that that's the finest TPC in the system. I know Sawgrass gets a gets a lot of attention, but TPC Deer Run, congratulations on the work there, and thanks for being with us. Thanks, Jake. It's always fun to be. You've been here before, you know what to do.
You know, I've been a pretty good ball striker my whole career, and I think one of the strengths of my game has been my driving. I've been pretty good off the tee. I hit a lot of fairways. But I always know that my first drive of the day is going to be a good one in comfort, luxury, and in style because I'm going to and from the golf course in my Lexus GX460. I've been a brand ambassador of Lexus now for over 30 years, and in my opinion, it's the best vehicle on the road today. Now, I may have had a few body parts replaced over the years, but that's just in my 65-year-old body. My Lexus needs nothing but routine maintenance, and that's just the way I like it. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up, making sure they show it. They're rowdy and loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. Well, this is something to think about. I am, uh, I guess I'm a traditionalist. I, I think that it's important as a golf professional on the PGA Tour to look professional. We know that these players act uh, very professionally. We all have taken the lead from players like the late great Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus and Gary Player and Hale Irwin and Lee Trevino on and on, Byron Nelson. And on and on, these players have really set the stage for not only great play and competition, but also the proper decorum on the golf course. That's why you can count me out as somebody who thinks wearing shorts in the practice round and in the pro-am is a good thing. I know Arnold, if he were still alive, Arnold would not be happy to see Tiger and Phil and Brooks Kepka and Rory McIlroy and all these players wearing shorts in practice rounds and in the pro-am. First of all, I, I can't tell. When I'm out and I'm walking around the golf course doing my, my job for NBC and Golf Channel, I can't tell the players apart. I, I always thought that it was important for the professional to be the professional in the group. And the amateurs are out there wearing shorts. That's great. It's a fun, it's a fun day for the amateurs. But guess what? It's a work day for the pros. I know it's good to integrate with the amateurs and get down and have some fun and laugh and joke. But you can do that with long pants on. You can do that looking like a professional. So count me out as somebody who thinks that shorts on tour with the professionals is a good idea. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?